welcome again. And if you have your copy of God's Word, turn over to Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to start in verse 22. And while you're flipping to Ephesians 22, do me a favor and wake up. Uh, I would appreciate that. My goodness. Uh, the, the room feels flat. I'm telling you. It feels like the, somebody took a vacuum and, and sucked the Holy Spirit straight out of the place. And that's not a good thing for church, okay? And so you guys uh, maybe loosen up a little bit. Uh, shake it out. It's going to be okay. You know, we're going to be out of here soon. You'll be off to whatever you want to do. But uh, first, we're going to get down to business with God. We're going to take the Lord's table, and uh, hopefully we'll leave here more like Christ. Amen? Amen? All right, now you're getting there. Now we're getting somewhere. We might be, uh, we might be a little more Pentecostal by the time we leave if you keep this up. So you guys are off to a good start. Good. So let me go to the Lord in prayer. We'll, uh, we'll invite him here today, and then we'll, uh, we'll get started in Ephesians. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you did not leave us without any guidance, but Lord, you left us your holy word. Thank you that we don't have to always seek visions from you or another word from you, but Lord, you left us everything that you wanted us to have in your precious word. Lord, I thank you that when you wrote this, that you didn't ask me what I thought, but that you wrote what you wanted to write, and you've merely called me to preach it. And so, Lord, there's an incredible freedom in that. And God, I pray for our church. Lord, I pray that you would fill these walls with your Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray that you would, uh, that you would meet with us this morning. Lord, I pray that we, would, uh, that we would hear your word, that we would wrap our lives around it. And Lord, I pray that we would be more like your son, Jesus Christ. And we ask these things in his precious name. Amen. So we're to a good section in the book of Ephesians. Uh, it's, it's good for the men and it's good for the women also. Uh, the, the first lines are going to set some of you women off, but that's okay. Just bear with us a little bit longer. And then the next few lines will uh, set some of you men off. So when your husband's poking you in the ribs, uh, you just take it like a champ, ladies. And then you'll have even more time to, uh, to elbow him. Uh, this is actually why the deacons chose to do this message for the Lord's Supper, so they didn't have to sit with their wives. So they were free and clear from any, any pokes by elbows and things like that. Just kidding. But maybe not. Anyways, if you remember, as we started in the book of Ephesians, we'll have a bit of a review because last week was, was homecoming. The book of Ephesians was wrote, written to the church in Ephesus. Paul is in prison. He writes them a letter and he gives them everything he wants them to have to function well as a church. And so he takes the first three chapters and he spends time telling them everything that they have in Christ. And hopefully you remember all of the things that you have in Christ. You have what he calls every spiritual blessing in Christ. You have freedom from sin. You've got the forgiveness of sin. You have redemption. You have all sorts of these great things. And lastly, to top it all off, he says that you, as a believer in Jesus Christ, have been adopted into God's family. And now you are a child of God. And you don't have to wonder what God is about. But you understand now the mystery of his will. And for anybody who is a, a believer in Christ, that is incredibly exciting. And so you have all of those things. Then he starts in, verse, in chapter 4. And he says, as a result of all of this... Therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. And so he says, now you've, you've got all these great things in Christ. All of these things have been given to you. Now I want you to act like it. I want you to act worthy of your calling. And then he begins in chapter 4. He begins working through what it looks like to act according to your calling. And so now we come to a place where he says, this is how within a marriage things are supposed to go if you're going to walk worthy of your calling. And this is how it starts. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 22. Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. Some of your Bibles say, wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Verse 23. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ also is the head of the church. He himself being the savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also wives ought to be subject to their husbands in everything. Verse 25, husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. 
so husbands also to love their own so husbands ought also to love their own wives as their own bodies he who loves his own wife loves himself for no one ever hated his own flesh but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ also does the church because we are members of his body for this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife and the two shall become one flesh This mystery is great, but I'm speaking with reference to the church, excuse me, to Christ and the church. Nevertheless, each individual among you also is to love his own wife even as himself, and the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. Now, we live in a society where many women buck at this statement. You mean I, you mean you are telling me to submit to my husband? Yes. Why am I telling you that? Because God told us that. You see, the interesting thing about this book is that I wasn't on the committee that wrote it. I wasn't even around when the committee thought about writing it. God wrote this. And he didn't ask for your input. And he didn't ask for my input. That's why whenever a Christian starts a sentence with, I think, you're in a bad spot already. Christians are supposed to think. Christians are supposed to be intelligent, but what we think about this word doesn't matter how we feel. And that's a tough pill to swallow. It's really tough sometimes, because sometimes there's some things in this word that doesn't really jive with the culture that we live in. And so God says, in his economy, this is how families are supposed to work. Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. Now, I don't want any of you ladies to think that I'm a male chauvinist. I don't want you to think that I'm, I'm preaching down at you all. I have a wonderful wife that I treat like absolute gold. And it's because of this passage. Now, let's jump over to God's original design. We're going to go over to Genesis. So you keep your finger in Ephesians. Now go back over to Genesis chapter 1. Sometimes this doesn't make a lot of sense, this whole idea of, of women submit to your husbands because... We live in a society that's completely jaded and is completely against all things that have to do with God. And so let's look at man and woman in their marriage in the original context. That's in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Genesis 1, verse 26. God's created everything around already. Then God said, let us make man in our image. According to our likeness and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God created man in his own image in the image of God. He created him male and female. He created them. And so what does it mean to be created in the image of God? If you were created In the image of God, it means that you were created somewhat to be a mirror reflection of what God is and who God is. And so it would would behoove us for a second to look at, at how God within the Trinity interacts within himself. See, some people think that that God created man and woman because he was lonely. And that's not true at all. God did not create the human race. God did not create the earth or the world because he was lonely. That's, that's completely false if you ever hear anyone say that. Sometimes we also say, we also hear people say during a funeral that, that God uh, was lonely in heaven, so he wanted that person to come up there with him, and that's also true. As far back as your finite mind can think, think back to the very beginning. And once you get to the big beginning, go back even further. You see, God is infinite. He doesn't have a starting point. He doesn't have an ending point. Now, I'm, I'm good with him not having an ending point. That doesn't give me a headache. I'm good if something starts here and goes on forever. However, when my mind begins to get a few hiccups is when you say that he is now, but he always was. It is incredibly difficult, and some of you are probably much smarter than I, for you to think back and know that something always was there. So the age-old question is, well, who created God? And, and the answer is nobody. He wasn't created. He always was there. And when he always was there, he always existed in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And if you wanted to, for the sake of of time, we're not going to go over there, but if you wanted to go over to Corinthians, you would learn that God the Father, excuse me, you would learn that the Holy Spirit glorifies the Son. That's his role in the Godhead. The Holy Spirit glorifies the Son. 
And then you would also learn in John chapter 16 that Jesus, God the Son, his job is to glorify the Father. And so within the Trinitarian Godhead that we believe, you have the Son submitting, you have the Spirit submitting to the Son, and you have the Son submitting to the Father. Now, the Holy Spirit that lives inside of you, if you're a believer in Christ, is fully God. He is just as much God as God the Father is God. You see, we believe in the Trinity. You guys follow me? You guys are dead again. You've done it. You're messing me up here. God the Spirit is the same as God the Son in their worth and in their value. They're both God when they're together, and they're both God when they're acting separate from each other. They are are equal in a sense, but they have different roles. And the role of the Spirit is to glorify the Son, and the role of the Son is to glorify the Father. Now, go over to Genesis chapter 2. So that's that's an aspect of how you were created in the image of God. Now, Genesis chapter 2, verse 4. It says, this is the account of the heavens and earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made the heaven and the earth. Go over to verse 7. It says, then the Lord God formed man out of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living being. And so God, here's an order here. You math teachers would like this. The whole order of operations thing. God creates man first out of the dust, and he breathes life into the man's nostrils. And he became a living being. Then, in verse 8, it says, The Lord God planted a garden toward the east in Eden, and there he placed the man whom he had formed. And so God creates a man. He takes dust. He creates a man. Okay? He didn't create people. He created a man. Okay, that's what the scripture says. And then, so he takes the dust and he creates a man and then he breathes life into the man, the breath of life. And then he takes the man and he puts the man into a garden that he created. Then he says, out of the ground, this is verse 9, out of the ground the Lord calls to grow every green tree that is pleasing to the sight and good for food. The tree of life also in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now go over to verse 15. Then the Lord God took the man and put him into the garden of Eden to cultivate it and keep it. So he put the man in a garden for a purpose. He says, man, your purpose in the garden is to cultivate it and keep it. I've I've told you before, I hope, that these words cultivate and keep also uh, are incredibly similar to the words worship and obey. Uh, Here in about another month or two, we'll talk about that more. But you'll just have to go with me for just a minute. So the Lord God commanded the man, verse 16, saying, From any tree of the garden you may eat freely, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat it. For in the day that you eat from it you shall surely die. And so God says that to the man. Okay, The man is given these instructions. The man is told what to do in the garden. The man is also told what not to do in the garden. Verse 18, then the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make him, what? A helper, suitable for him. And so he sees that the man is alone. Now notice that he doesn't say that the man is lonely. If it was just you and God for an eternity, you would not be lonely. Not one bit. Not for one day will you ever be lonely in the presence of God. But it says the man was alone. So... I'll make a helper suitable for him. And so here's man alone in the garden. And what is God going to make for him? Our society would say a woman who has rights, equal pay for equal work. And our society would shout all of these other uh, women's rights type things. But that's not what the scripture says. The scripture says that God created a helper for him. And this is what happens. Then the Lord God said it's not good for him to be alone. I'll make a a helper suitable for him. So you don't need help doing something if the task is easy. But if you're given a difficult task, then you need help. There's things that you do in everyday life that you really don't need any help doing, right? There's some times where you you just don't want help and you don't need help. But when you're given an incredibly difficult task, then you need help. And so God sees that man needs a helper because he's been given an incredibly difficult task. Then in verse 19, he says, Out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the sky and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called a living creature, that was its name. 
The man gave names to all the cattle and to the birds of the sky and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper suitable for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh at that place. Then the Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man and brought her to the man. And so here's the scene. Adam is in the garden, and God, much like God brings two by two the animals onto the ark, You guys kind of all have a good mental picture of what it looks like animals walking two by two into the ark. God also has all of the animals that he's created from the dust walk by Adam also. And whatever name Adam gives them is what the the animal is called. And so the text here says that as all of those creatures were going by, Adam didn't see a helper suitable for him. So then God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. Verse 21, he took one of his ribs. And closed up the flesh at that place. Verse 22. The Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib he had taken from the man and brought her to the man. Then the man said, is that the best you can do, God? No, he didn't. He said, and I'm going to interpret this for you. He said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. And she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. And so he creates all the beasts of the field. He walks them by Adam. Adam gives him a name. And he doesn't see any helper suitable for him. But then, but then he puts man to sleep. He takes a rib and he fashions a woman for Adam. And when Adam wakes up, he goes, wow, that's the one. That's my helper. I got her. God, you don't need to tell me anything else. I got it. I know exactly what she's going to do. She is going to help me, and that is a perfect helper that you've given me. You see, you have been taught for all of your life that man was created from a big bang, and then we evolved from monkeys and all of these other things. But that is 100% false. You've been fed a bunch of garbage. When God creates man, man is perfect. And men, when God created this woman, she was perfect. If you would have laid your eyes on her, you would not be content with any other woman in the history of the world because this woman was crafted, handcrafted by God to be perfect and exactly what Adam needed. He... No, excuse me. She would have knocked your socks off if you could have seen her. Any of the lesser things that you think are attractive, Eve would have taken the cake. Women, Adam the same way. Can you imagine a man handcrafted by God and perfect? That's when you start to snickers when I get to the perfect part. But Adam and Eve were it. Adam had a role, he had a purpose, but he couldn't do it by himself. He needed a helper. And so, what did he need help doing? You see, God gave him a few commandments. God told the man, live in the garden, keep and cultivate it. Then he told the man, don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And then he told the man this, be fruitful and multiply. And this idea of being fruitful and multiplying, man cannot do by himself, and he needs a helper. Now, ladies, this is not derogatory towards you. This does not mean that this is your only role, but one of the roles that God has given you is to be fruitful and multiply. And why does God want women and 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 humans to be fruitful and multiply, it's so that we can fill the earth with worshipers of God. That's his original intent. He's going to put man and woman in the garden, and then he wants them to be fruitful and multiply. He wants to fill the earth with worshipers who will worship and treasure God. And so this is the original purpose for man and woman. Be fruitful and multiply, live in the garden, everything's good. So you see that that woman here is in no way, shape, or form inferior She is of equal worth as the man. However, she has a different role than the man. See, a lot of times we put a lot of stock in roles and titles. And we don't realize that sometimes people are supposed to have different roles and they're supposed to have different titles, but they have the exact same value. Take me, for instance. I am, I am, uh, this is going to break down eventually, but go with me. Christ is the head of the church. I am the under-shepherd of the church, and so I am, am leading our church, correct? 
None of you have a problem with that. Right? I hope. Well, some of you probably do, but that's okay. You'll get over it. Hopefully by the time you leave here. Some of you are building problem with that as the sermon goes on. Anyways, I'm the, the head of this, this church in a sense that I'm the, the person leading it. That doesn't make me one iota better than any of you guys. I am of the exact same worth to God as you are. You are of the exact same worth to God that I am. However, I have a different role than you have. The Bible says that not many should become teachers because they will have a higher and a stricter judgment. Does that mean that teachers are better than everybody else? Not at all. It means that they have a different role. And nobody has a problem with that. But somehow our society sees that that you have to have equal roles to have equal value. Now, I think the women's rights movement did do one thing really well. I think that if a woman does the same job as a man and she does it as good as a man, that she should receive equal pay. I'm I'm 100% with that. I think that that's a a totally good thing. And I think that I left my handkerchief at the house. Man, I think that, that, that women should be valued just as much as men should. Okay? It doesn't, we haven't said anything that, that they're less than men, but we said they have different roles. So let's get back over to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5 says, verse 22, Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, he himself being the Savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. And so, women, if you want to walk out of these these doors and you want to be godlier than when you came in, it's simple. This is how you do it. Submit to your husband. Paul says, do you want to put into play, do you want to act like you're a redeemed child of God, women? The the implied answer would be yes. Hopefully you do. He says this is how it looks. Submit to your husbands. So you say, preacher, what do I submit to my husbands in? Verse 24. In everything. Women, your, your command in Scripture from God is to submit to your husbands in everything. Now, we're going to get over to chapter 6 and... Paul's going to give commands. It's dead in here again. You guys are killing me. In chapter 6, Paul's going to say, children, obey your parents. This scripture doesn't say, women, obey your husbands. See, your husbands are not made to be dictators. Your husbands are meant to be heads. And we're going to talk about that a little bit more in a minute. But if submission doesn't mean obeying everything that your husband says. It doesn't mean that you're a mindless drone. Submission means that you willingly give up your rights. So how do you submit to your husband? You lay down all the rights that you think you may be given. That's what submission looks like. And you follow your husband. You see... Leaders, heads, lead, and everybody else follows. Men of the church, you should actively be leading your wives in a godly fashion. Okay? This is not something that's easy to do. And this is something that men as a whole fail at drastically. You should also be the sort of man who is leading in a direction that your wife is comfortable with. So she is submitting to your leadership, but let's keep going. Verse 25 says, husbands, love your wives. So women, you're to submit to your husbands. That's your command. Husbands, your command is to love your wife. And so here's the picture. Your wife has submitted to you. She's laid down her rights. And you pick up the banner on her behalf and you love her. And how do you love her? You love her just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. And so what did Christ do for the church? He loved the church and he died for the church. Men, you want your wife to submit to you? You had better be willing to die for that girl. You ought to go through bad places and back for the benefit of your wife. Your wife submitting to you should be the easiest thing in her daily life because she should be so confident in your leadership and in your godliness that she knows that when she submits to you, you're not going to lead her to some dumb place just to do something stupid and selfish that you want to do. That's when the women say amen. 
Husbands, verse 25, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her so that he might sanctify her. So he did all those things for the church so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. And so... Husbands, the example that you have from Christ is that Christ takes his bride, the church, and he loves her to the point where he is willing to lay down his life for her. And what there's four things that he does. He does this so that he can sanctify her. Husbands, your role is to help in the sanctification process of your wife. That's part of her submitting to you. You should be aiding her in sanctification. This doesn't mean that you should be a, a chauvinistic jerk and always be doing things to irritate her. This means that you should lovingly come alongside her and help her be more like Christ. And if I was to take a straw poll of how many of you guys are, are doing this, it would probably be not many. If I was to take a straw poll of how many men wanted their wives to submit to them, it would probably be all or most. You don't get a woman eagerly submitting to her husband until her husband comes to a place where he loves her like Christ loves the church and he cares about her sanctification. You think I'm crazy? Mother's Day. What's the church look like? Packed. Packed. Can't get another person in the seat. What's Father's Day look like? This. Why? Why? Because for so long, women have been toting the spiritual, the spiritual rope, so to speak, for so long. And that a, a child knows that if he wants to make mom happy, you get your butt in church. Whatever happened to you wanting to make dad happy, get your butt in church. Where are the men? Where are the men who are going to stand up and raise godly men and women for the gospel? The truth is, is this church probably wouldn't be here if it weren't for some women who carried the line when their husbands were running around wanting them to submit to them, but out doing dumb things in the world. That's a fact. You can take that to the bank. And so men, your wives should submit to you, but you should be caring about her sanctification. You should be concerned about presenting your wife to God, holy and blameless. One day Christ is going to present the church to himself, and he wants it to be holy and blameless. Men, one day you will present your wife, your bride, to Christ, and she should be holy and blameless. And you should be the one helping her get that way. You don't make somebody holy and blameless by nagging them and always giving them a hard time being a pain in the rear. You come alongside them, and you help them spiritually with whatever they need. If they need a break, you get your butt off the golf course and you give them a break. If they need a break, you get out of the woods and you give them a break. Okay? When you stand before God, open in season, gun season opened yesterday, God is not going to care how big of an animal you shot if your wife isn't holy and blameless. Now, is it possible to both present a woman holy and blameless and shoot big deer? I haven't done it yet, but there's still hope. Okay? Doesn't mean that it's, we're not out of the woods yet. I've still got some, some time to go. However, men, you have an incredible role. You have such a hard role that if you do it well, your wife's job is incredibly easy. When we chose to move here, I asked my wife what she thought. I said, what do you think about moving to Windsor? And we, we listed some pros and cons, and there are pros and cons to Windsor. And she said, in multiple, in multiple scenarios where our family has been, she said, I'll follow you wherever you want us to go. What does that mean? It means, preacher, you better be doggone sure that that's the right decision when you make it because your wife is following you. It means there's more stress on me to make a good decision because my wife is going to follow me. And do you know what? If this was the wrong decision... She wouldn't nag me. She would have submitted to the leadership. Does that make her less of a woman? No. I think that makes her more of a woman. I think that makes her twice the woman as in most of these women liberation movements. Why? Because she's like Christ. I'm not just saying this to raise her up, but I can't think of a better illustration to use than my own wife when it comes to being a godly example. 
So, husbands, verse 28. You ought to love your own wife as your own body. He who loves his own wife loves himself. Men, you ought to treat your wives like you treat yourself. That's tough, isn't it? It's hard to do. Because you know what's easy to do? It's easy to look out for number one. You know what it's hard to do? It's hard to sacrifice and look out for someone better than yourself. That's hard. Christ was in the garden, and he prayed, and he was sweating drops of blood. And he said, God, if it be at all possible, let this cup pass from me. If it be at all possible, please don't make me go to the cross because it's going to be hard. And what did, what was the outcome of that? It was God's will that Christ go to the cross and die. And so he was in a situation that he prays that there be another way to do it. And God says, no, there isn't another way. Go do it. And so he does things that he didn't jump up and down eagerly want to do for the bride, us. So Christ is your perfect example of doing something difficult for somebody rather than feeding self. Then he says this, For no one ever hated his own flesh. This is verse 29. No one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is great, but I'm speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Nevertheless, each individual among you is also to love his own wife, even as himself, and the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. And so he says, everyone here, nevertheless, every individual, there is no exemption clause whatsoever. If you are married and you are a man, you are to love your wife, even as yourself and women, you're to see to it that you respect your husband. Now, before you get ready to go, there's another passage we're going to flip to. However, let me tell you, I just spent a whole sermon talking about media. And I was talking about how media is degrading. It's degrading all of your, uh, it's, it's degrading all of your minds, and it is. But it's, it's pushing us in a direction as a society that we don't need to go. Do you want me to tell you what else media and TV shows and radio and all these things are doing? It's ruining your marriages. It's ruining manhood altogether. You look at the top shows that, are, that, would, that would be out there. I'll, I'll name a few. Everybody Loves Raymond. Great, funny show. Hilarious show. King of Queens. Hilarious show. Let me, let me name a cartoon for you. The Berenstein Bears. What do all those shows have in common? They all belittle men. Look at any of those shows. If anything big is to be done... Who does it? Mom. Dad's a bumbling idiot. Why would we listen to what he says? You want something done? Go to mom. Ask her. Wives, what do you do? If you're going to follow these TV shows, you laugh at your husband when he comes up with something because you know he's going to fail at it. And then what do you do? You go behind his back and you make it right. Wrong. Men, you're to man up. You're to lead well. You're to love your wives as Christ loved the church. Women, you're not... You're not to laugh at your husbands. Your husband may fail. If he fails, he's not a failure until he starts blaming other people. Nobody has a problem with a man who stumbles and falls and gets back up again and tries again. It's when you start blaming other people and making dumb excuses that you become a failure. And so, men, you may not be good at this leadership thing yet. Get better at it. Don't give up. Keep trying. Don't blame other people. Your family is yours to lead. It's not my job to lead your family. We're not going to call a a youth pastor to this church to lead your family. Men, it's your job to do it. Let me tell you something about leadership within the family. It's awkward and it's difficult. You want to be in one of the most awkward situations of your life tonight? Grab your wife's hand and tell her, Honey, we haven't prayed together in 30 or 40 or 50 years. I'd like to pray with you tonight. You want to be awkward? That's it. 
You want to be awkward? Grab your kids and say, kids, before you go to sleep, we're going to read the Bible tonight. If you're not used to doing that on a daily basis, it's going to be incredibly awkward for you. But do you know what? It's right. That's the right thing to do. That's what leadership looks like. And godly leadership is awkward until you get used to it. The reason all that other junk in your life seems normal is because TV tells you it's normal. Godly leadership is hard. And there's not many of them out there. There's not many men willing to lead their families all the way in a godly fashion. Listen, anybody could wake up, put on a suit, and get to church. That's not leadership. Leadership is when you walk out of these doors. Don't be a spectator, men. Be a leader. So I'm going to just read quickly over in 1 Peter. Flip towards the end of your Bible. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7. We're going to get back talking to the wives because there's one thing about submission that I want you women to, to understand. And it's incredibly powerful. 1 Peter chapter 3. And this is what Peter has to say to husbands and wives. He says in the same way, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 1. In the same way, you wives, be submissive to your own husbands. That rings a bell, right? So that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives. Holy smokes. You mean to tell me that I don't have to nag my husband for him to be won over? Yes. Women nagging is nowhere in the scripture. Nowhere. Other than telling you it's wrong and it's bad. You have something way more powerful than a nagging voice. You have the Holy Spirit in your life. You want to win your husband over? Don't win him over by nagging him. Win him over by this. Maybe your husband isn't godly. Maybe you're here by yourself. Maybe you're here because you nagged your husband to come. But listen to this. It says... Be submissive to your husbands, so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives. Women, you have the uncanny ability to be silent and submissive and win the world to Christ. The greatest image, the greatest thing that we can put out there for the world to how the relationship between Christ and the church should be, is that of how a woman treats her husband. You want to know why we have marriage? You want to know why there's not going to be marriage in heaven? Because you don't need marriage in heaven. Your wife's, one of your wife's purposes is to submit to your leadership, and you as a man are to love her like Christ loved the church. It's a picture of Christ and the church. You're not going to have the church in heaven, because we're all going to be in heaven together, okay? So you have, now, there's probably some theological problems that you may have with that statement, but go with me for a little while. Your role within your marriage is to be an image of Christ in the church. Women, love and submit to your husbands. Men, love and take care of your wives like you would take care of your own body. The problem is that when self gets involved and we become selfish people, that's when you have problems. So, women, no need to nag, but be silent and win your husbands by your behavior and not your nagging. That's a bit of a paraphrase. Verse 2. As they observe your chaste and respectful behavior, your adornment, verse 3, must not be merely external, braiding the hair and wearing gold jewelry or putting on dresses, but let it be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is precious in the sight of God. For in this way, the former, in former times, the holy women also, who hoped in God, used to adorn themselves, being submissive to their own husbands." So the Bible says, women, do you want to be beautiful in God's eyes? Don't braid your hair. Don't don't put on earrings. Be submissive to your husband. For just as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you have become her children if you do what is right without being frightened by fear. You husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way as with someone weaker, since she is a woman, and show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life so that your prayers will not be hindered. To close it up, 
I don't know how many of you have children, but an interesting thing that children like to do is they like to think that they're bigger than they really are. And so sometimes kids like to take the training wheels off of their bikes before they're ready. And so what happens is that dad is behind the bike with his hand on the seat. And what does dad do? Dad may be out of shape. Dad may not have run in years, but dad is going to grab a hold of that bike seat. And he's going to run with that boy till he can't ride anymore. And if the boy runs through mud puddles, he's running through mud puddles. If the boy runs under low-hanging limbs, dad's running through low-hanging limbs. Anywhere that boy wants to go on that bike, he's going. Why? Because he loves the boy and he doesn't want the boy to fall and get all banged up. Because he loves his son. And so he will go through whatever it takes to keep his son on that bike and going in the right direction. Men, for the rest of your life, that's how you should treat your wife. Not that she's lesser, not that she doesn't know how to ride a bike, but you should do whatever you have to do, no matter how hard or how difficult or awkward it is, you should be doing it for your wife so that you can present her to God holy and blameless. And then your wife submitting to you will be the easiest thing that ever happened in your entire life because you then will be a man worth submitting to. Women, your submitting doesn't always mean that you're to be treated poorly. It doesn't mean that you're a slave. It doesn't mean that you're a servant. Okay? It means that you're godly. There's one time where I called my wife and I told her something we were going to do. And she said, I'll go wherever you want to go. And at that moment, I knew that it was the wrong thing for our family to do. I wanted to lead our family in a direction that would have been poor for us, and it wouldn't have been us 10 years later ending up here. It's when I was in the Army. I, wanted to, I, wanted, I was going to go into a different field in the Army, and I said, this is what I'm going to do. I got all the paperwork in my hand. I put the packet together. The last thing on the list was to call my wife and tell her what I was doing. I wasn't asking her if we should do it. I was telling her what we were doing, and she said, if that's what you think, that's what we'll do. And at the end of the phone call, through her submitting to my leadership, do you know what I did? I ripped up the papers because I knew that wasn't the direction that God wanted us to do. I was stubborn. I'm a man. That's what we are. That's what we do. Stubborn is us. But women, your submission can lead to a godlier man. Men, your leadership can lead to a godlier woman. So having said that, we're going to come to the Lord's Supper. We're going to take of the Lord's table. And uh, before we prepare the table, let me read something to you. We're going to be in Matthew. Excuse me. We're going to be in uh, Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, before we prepare the table, says this. This is verse 26. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, whoever eats bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But a man must examine himself, and in so doing, he is to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself if he does not judge the body rightly. For this reason, many among you are weak and sick, and a number sleep. A number of you are dead because you didn't examine yourself first. Verse 31, but if we judged ourselves rightly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are disciplined by the Lord so that we will not be condemned along with the world. You can flip if you want to. I'm going to go to Matthew briefly. Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5 verse 23 says this. And this is, this is what's going to hit home today. This is a, uh, I was going to take today and, and preach about the Lord's Supper and what it is and what it's all about. Uh, but I didn't. I chose to keep going in the book of Ephesians, which probably makes the Lord's Supper a little bit more difficult. Um, Matthew 5 says this, verse 23, Therefore, if you are presenting your offering at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your offering there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother. And then come and present your offering. Brothers and sisters in Christ, probably there are some of you here who, before you partake of the Lord's Supper, 
You may need to lean to your wife and tell her, I'm sorry. You may need to tell her, I'm sorry, I haven't led you in a way that Christ would lead the church. And I'm sorry for that. I'm going to do better when I leave here. Some of you women could probably stand to lean to your husband and say, Husband, I'm sorry. I haven't submitted to your leadership the way that the Bible says that I should have, and I apologize for it. If you're here and you're married and you know that your spouse has something against you, if you know that you've acted in a way contrary to the things that we've just read, you need to get that right before you partake of the Lord's Supper. That's going to make this a little bit more meaningful because this sermon uh, kicked me right in the stomach. They say, I don't even care about your toes. When it kicks me in the stomach, that's a bad thing. And so we as a people of God, if we have something that we need to get right with somebody else before we take the Lord's Supper, now's the time to do it. Uh, Brother Bob and I in just a second are going to prepare the table after I pray. And do you know one of the best things that could happen for our church? It would be awkward. Remember I told you sometimes being godly leads to something being awkward? If half the church got up and made things right with one another, that would be the best thing that could happen. If we put aside southern hospitality and we really made sure that our, that our brothers and sisters in Christ didn't have anything against us, that would make the Lord's table more special and more fitting. And so uh, let me close us in prayer. And while we're preparing the table, even while we're handing out the, the bread and the wine, you are welcome to get up at any time and to make something right with someone. If you have something against me, I would love an opportunity to get things right with you before we partake of the Lord's Supper. Don't eat this table in an unworthy manner is, uh, are your words from Christ. So let me pray for us, then we'll get the table ready. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that, uh, thank you that though your word hurts, there's peace in the midst of it. Lord, I thank you that you never expect great things from us until you until after you tell us how to do them. And so, God, I pray for the marriages within this building. Lord, if there's anyone in our that's a member of our church that is not here, Lord, I pray for their marriage as well. I pray that the men in these marriages would stand up and be men. I pray that they would be godly leaders. Lord, I pray that they would take the, the spiritual reins of the house and lead the family towards Christ. Lord, I pray that the men and our families would be godly. I pray that they would stop loving themselves, and that they would start loving their wives more. God, I pray that in doing so, that, uh, that wives would submit to their husbands. Lord, I pray that we would be a church body whose marriages reflect the relationship between Christ and the church. God, I pray that the women of our church could be a testimony to the greatness of Christ. And Lord, I pray that the men of our church could be a testimony to how much Christ loves the church by how, we, how much we love and respect our wives. And so, God, I pray that, you would, um, pray that you would forgive us where we fail you. And, Lord, as we come to this table, I pray that you would prepare our hearts and prepare our minds so that we could partake of it in a manner worthy. And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Brother Bob. As we hand out the elements, I pray that you would, uh, while we're passing them out, you would continually be in a, a time of reflection. Uh, and listen, uh, don't think for a second that I didn't mean if you have something right to make with somebody, do it prior to taking the Lord's table. And so as the men are passing out the, uh, the elements, you, uh, you spend some time in prayer and in reflection. Brother Randy, would you leave us in prayer for the bread? Father, we just submit ourselves to you. We just lift up your great name. We recognize your greatness and your mercy. Uh, we thank you for this awesome way of worshiping you. We just pray that all hearts are clear, Father, that, uh, that we've all had an opportunity to, uh, to make ourselves right with you, to uh, make ourselves usable for you as we take this bread into your body that is broken. Pay the price for our sin, Father. In the precious name we ask this. Amen. The Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Brother Father, I, I hate to interrupt you. Son of him, but I, I, if I've done anything in my church with them, I'm truly sorry. I hope I have not. I love each and every person in this church. And uh, a lot of things you said today, they are full of what 
I'm going to give you a hug, brother. Let me tell you guys something. You want to see Christ move? You want to see real church? The world thinks we waste our time on Sunday morning. They think we waste our time on Sunday night. We as a church get real with God and we put aside ourselves and we do what he wants us to do. It doesn't always look normal and it's hard. There's a lot of us who could stand to give the same sorts of things. And so, Brother Ronnie, I appreciate that. And, uh, there's, nothing, there's nothing wrong with standing up and committing your faith. Uh, I can tell you that. It does me more good to stand up and speak my heart to people that I know are my Christian friends. I appreciate that. Thank you. Guys, Southern Hospitality will run a church straight into the ground. And when you get real with folks, church is different. It really is. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Guys, I didn't ask you uh, during the message, but if there's anyone here who has never given their life to Christ, uh, if you've never experienced forgiveness, and if you've never experienced the sort of love from Christ that I've talked about husbands need to give their wives, um, I would, I would highly recommend coming and speaking with us during the hymn of invitation. So Brother Bob and I are going to close the table. We're going to sing a song of invitation. And uh, you're welcome to respond in any way you see fit. And then after the song of invitation, uh, everyone who's signed up for the prospective lunch to, uh, to go ahead over there if you filled out one of the cards on the bulletin. So thank you guys for coming. Brother Ron Miller, would you close us in prayer? Heavenly Father, thank you. We had an opportunity.